a real privilege to be here today. Uh, we're going to sort of switch gears a little bit, and the, uh, and the talk that I'm going to give is going to be more pedagogical in focus. And uh, what I'd like to do is to just tell you about some things that I've learned about mentoring undergraduate uh, research students over the course of the last uh, 15 years. I've, I've had the privilege of working with about 40 different, almost 40 um, undergraduate students in the lab. Um, the, the kind of work I do is experimental laboratory work, um, but I think that the, the conclusions and the things that I've learned are transferable to those of you who uh, have more of a field biology persuasion. Uh, and I hope, too, that the things that I talk about are relevant to those of you who uh, maybe aren't actively engaged in research but, but, but do, uh, are involved in teaching and uh, perhaps uh, are involved in teaching laboratories um, that coincide with uh, lecture courses. Just uh, by way of introduction, I should tell you that the, um, the area of my interests are, is uh, mammalian gene regulation. And so uh, that's not going to factor in heavily into this particular talk, but it gives you just sort of a frame of reference of, of the kind of work that I do. One of my uh, frustrations in, in, uh, since the time I first began uh, working with undergraduate research students is the uh, tendency to, of students to adopt sort of a mediocrity, you know, approach to research. You know, that somehow research is, is less amenable to, to evaluation and uh, that, that as long as you put your time in, that you're entitled to, you know, an A and uh, that, that uh, you know, really research is for them. It's to bolster their resume. It's to, uh, to enhance their their opportunities, and that, that there's really no expectations other than that that should come out of it. And um, I've had to really uh, be intentional about trying to counteract these kinds of mindsets and to, to, uh, to try to uh, inspire them to, uh, to strive for excellence. And so that's really uh, the, the focus of this talk today. So the central questions I'm going to be asking are, what are the attributes of excellence in undergraduate research? Uh, I'm going to go through that very quickly. Some of this is going to be very, uh, you know, uh, obvious. But um, when, when, when you talk about excellence, it sort of begs the question, well, how do you define excellence? So we'll spend a little bit of time with that. Um, how do I, how can you motivate undergraduate students to pursue excellence? I'll share some uh, especially in the research lab, I'll share with you some things that I've tried. And uh, how can you help them reach excellence or achieve excellence in the lab? And then finally, um, in the course of doing this, how can you continue to build meaningful relationships and uh, a sense of community along the way? So, um, you know, in my view, um, the, uh, the first attribute of excellence really, I mean, is, is the same as you would find for excellence in science in general. You know, you, you want to have uh, a good understanding of the relative, relevant uh, scientific literature, clearly defined research question, one or more testable hypotheses, and then well-designed experiments that directly address the, uh, the research question of interest as well as the specific hypotheses that you're, you've formulated. 
And, and typically, with beginning research students, um, they're sort of plugging into uh, a, a program that is already going. And they may not necessarily be involved at that point in the design of the experiments or in the definition of the problem. Um, I have a, a fortunate to have a research grant, and there's, there's definitely expectation that I will make progress in achieving these specific aims. And, uh, and so, um, you know, beginning research students, it's sort of defined for them as to what they'll do. But, but later on, as they get more experience and they, they've learned how to think critically and analytically, there, there are opportunities to be more directly involved in the design of experiments and so forth. Um, I, I really, really try to counteract this notion that results don't matter, that, that just p marking time in the lab is all that's important. I, I really want them to, uh, to, to buy into this notion that how they do the experiment is important, being careful is important, getting actual results that they can interpret is important. And so, um, you know, I emphasize very strongly and, and, I, and I evaluate them on how careful they are in the lab, um, how they're expected to maintain a detailed lab notebook. And I try to tell them that this lab notebook is a permanent record that stays in the lab and that has to be interpretable after they leave the lab. It's not just for them. And so, I mean, that's, that's one of the hardest things to teach them is how to maintain a good lab notebook and one that, you know, where they're not just constantly omitting units and, and such, like, you know, it, it, that makes it almost useless um, a year later. And so uh, I want them to be thorough. I want them to be accurate. I want them to be honest, you know, in both the documentation of the, uh, the procedures, the results, as well as the analysis of the data. Um, they've got to have a sense of perseverance and commitment. Um, sometimes it takes a while for the experiments to work, and they've got to stay with it and keep doing it until um, the experiments work. And sometimes we're in a new area where I myself may not have done the experiments entirely myself, and, and so we're working together on, on figuring out the, the optimal procedures. Um, it, it is better, though, if I do them first, because then I, I have a better sense of the many, many, many different places that they can make mistakes. Um, but um, then there's also doing the experiments over and over again to get reproducible results. Um, as they get more experienced, be participating in revising hypotheses and design, redesigning experiments, um, and arriving at clear, clear conclusions that address the original research question and hypotheses. And um, they have to, I, you know, they, I really want them to try to carry it to that, that end point, you know, rather than just spinning their wheels in the lab, not really getting anything done that, that can make sense. And, and, you know, it's more gratifying to them, too, when they, when they have a piece of work completed, however small, and they can uh, interpret it in a way that, that, you know, where they can glean some knowledge from it. Um, I, I uh, really want them also to get a sense of the social 
you know, the communal aspect of science. You know, uh, there are lots of misconceptions that scientists are cloistered in the lab or perhaps in the field and lack social skills and, and um, communication skills. And that is science when it's done right is nothing like that. It's the ability to work with others is essential, the ability to communicate. Um, why do the work if you don't disseminate it? And so, you know, I, I expect them to be involved at some level in the dissemination process. And I'll, I'll show you some ways that we, we do that. Um, so, um, how can I motivate students then to move beyond mediocrity towards striving for excellence. And, um, you know, one of the things I think where I've fallen short in the past, uh, especially since I've, I've been at a Christian college, is not spending enough time going through scripture with my students, you know. They actually crave that. They crave that, and um, they listen very carefully, and it makes a big difference. A little investment in that makes a big difference. And, and one of the things that I really, you know, that the John Brown University, I think, is all about in, in our science program is, is trying to communicate the notion that, that we do this out of worship for our Lord and Creator, you know. And um, the entrance way to our science building has this quote that's attributed to Copernicus uh, that I really love. Um, to know the mighty works of God, to comprehend his wisdom and majesty and power, to appreciate and degree the wonderful workings of his laws, surely all this must be a pleasing and acceptable mode of worship to the Most High, to whom ignorance cannot be more grateful than knowledge. And, uh, and so um, one of the things that, I, that, that I've um, started doing is having starting the year with devotionals and and, tr and 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 examining this idea of worship, you know, serving the Lord and worshiping the Lord through the study of biology and specifically through uh, participating in research. And um, a passage of scripture that's really important to me and has been important ever since I professed faith in Jesus Christ as a high school student um, is Romans 12, 1 and 2, um, which is very familiar to all of you. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So we look at that passage, and we look at several other passages that I've listed there, and, and um, I try to show the linkage between, you know, we talk about what worship is and, 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 and how, you know, the idea of, of um, living a pure and holy life, but also, you know, that not conforming to the world, instead being conformed to the image of Christ and being transformed by the power of Christ as well as by the renewing of our minds. You know, and that's not just the renewal that, you know, I'm sure that that passage refers to renewal of our minds that comes about through the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. But I also think that, that it, it talks about a responsibility that we have to engage in intellectual pursuits, that that's part of what the renewal is all about. And, and I sort of get that from these other passages of, of Scripture as well. So we spend some time with that. 
and, and I think it, it, it um, really resonates with them. Um, of course, you know, the whole idea of, of, you know, not just working for yourself, but, but really more importantly, working for the Lord, you know, working diligently, working heartily as unto the Lord, uh, being an approved workman. You know, so we look at those passages of Scripture as well in the course of a few different devotionals that, that we do together. And, and then um, we have a prayer of dedication at the beginning of the semester, and we just ask God to, to, to use us you know, to, to further his kingdom as we study his wonderful creation. And, and I think it just really helps set the stage for the semester in a way that that just simply saying you got to produce, you know, uh, blah blah blah. You know, one of the passages, um, um, I forget which one of these it is, but it talks about um, the the verse just before the passage that I indicated talks about bond servants and masters, and I'm very careful to point out to them that 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 doesn't apply. You know, they're not my bond servants. I'm not their taskmaster, um, but I want them. Don't do it for me. Don't do it for the grade, for the resume. Do it out of worship for the Lord. You know, that, that's, that's, what, um, that's where we have to begin, I think. Um, it's also, I want them to see that this is a way we can really serve humankind. And, and so simply marking time in the lab, adopting a time clock mentality, which is very tempting for students and, and seemed to happen a lot when I was paying them a stipend by the hour, and I stopped doing that because uh, instead what I do is I pay them a scholarship up front. For, I, I have a grant that I'm able to do this. Um, I realize not everyone will be in a position to do that, but um, I just find that that gets the focus off the fee-for-services type mentality, but that they see that this is, you know, God's provision, you know. So um, the... the we got to be good stewards of our time in the lab. We're using a lot of expensive reagents. We've got to be good stewards of that as well. Um, how we do the experiment is very important. Getting interpretal results is important to increase knowledge and understanding in order to have an impact on our society. Um, and, of course, in order to, to really be able to do that, you have to be working on some, some problem, original research question that has relevance to a real-world problem of some kind uh, that hasn't already been solved. If, you're, if your time in the lab is just um, confirming known results, it's going to be a little bit hard to, to make an impact and to convince students that they're making an impact on, on, on the world by their participation in research. Um, you may have to explain what those practical applications are. It, it, it may not be intuitively obvious to them. Uh, it can be personally rewarding as well. You notice I, I've, I've this sort of order of priority, you know, first worship and service to the Lord, then to mankind, then, you know, personal fulfillment and gratification, which, you know, are, are important things. Intellectual stimulation, increased understanding, not just about their research problem, but also about, um, you know, courses that uh, that are relevant, um, in, improvement in critical thinking skills and development of other skills. Um, the last two are are the least important in my view, but but are you know 
things that factor into it. They, they are motivated by the opportunity to get an A if they do well and, and to get a, a favorable letter of evaluation. And, and, and it does help to get the, uh, the financial assistance that I'm able to give. Um, I, I, I often joke around that another possible personal motivation is that they can find their future mate. Um, in fact, um, these two uh, students were um, former research students of mine, worked in the lab at the same time. And um, during a lab meeting, it came out that Stephanie liked Bruno, and, um, and uh, she didn't come clean exactly. It was sort of through the process of deduction from what she said that I, I said, well, it's either one of my freshman students or it's you, Bruno. And uh, she fessed up later, and, and actually God used me to counsel Bruno, and later they ended up getting married. But, so I, didn't, I, 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 I never intended to be a matchmaker. It just happened. Okay, so now how do I help students reach that level of excellence? And I'm going to go through some things very fast here. Um, setting realistic um, goals and expectations is very important, and it's important that you clearly communicate these um, as early as possible at, at the beginning of the semester. Involve the students in this process. Uh, don't ever expect them to do something you can't do. Um, remember, and this is important, they're not going to be as fast or as skillful as you are in most cases. Now, sometimes you get a rare student that, that just is really outstanding in the lab. Uh, but you have to allow time for them to make mistakes, realize that they're learning, um, allow time to troubleshoot experiments because things don't always work. And, and this is very frustrating working with undergraduate students, but they, you know, they have a tight schedule and they may only be able to work in the lab for three hours at a shot. You may have to finish an experiment. They start. It's not always convenient, but you've got to do it if you're going to involve students in, in the lab. They've got heavy course loads, involvement in extracurriculars. They have a personal life that they protect, and so forth. Um, it's helpful to so that they don't get so overwhelmed to uh, break break up the project into smaller achievable goals that have well-defined next actions. And those of you who've read uh, David Allen, may getting things done, may recognize some of that terminology in there. But it, it can be useful for for uh, uh, helping students see what the next step is. Um, uh, one of the things that I've used for helping to communicate expectations are individual le individualized learning contracts. I almost always have a syllabus for research. Um, I've found that um, combining a syllabus with the rubric um, really works the best for me. And now let me just show you, uh, I don't know if you can, how well that, how well you can pick that out. But what basically you see here are different evaluation criteria along the left-hand side, and I describe what the meanings of that is and uh, just some of the characteristics that I look at in, in um, evaluating and, uh, and how, how, what percentage of the grade that corresponds to. And then um, I evaluate them from unaccept unacceptable to excellent, um, going from left to right, uh, for each of these areas, and then there's room to write comments to explain the grade. And I just, this is something I came up with, and I find it works very, it, it works very well for me. Uh, if any of you are interested in um, having a copy of that, I'd be happy to email it to you. 
my uh, email address is uh, B G R E U E L at JBU dot EDU. So if you send me an email, let me say that again B G R E U E L at JBU dot EDU. I actually have a, a rubric, a sep two different rubrics, slightly different um, depending on whether they're a beginning research student or a an advanced research student, I expect them to, to, to get more done after they've been in the lab for a semester. And so I put more weight on, on the amount of lab work that they get done. Instead of 20% of the grade, it's 40% of the grade. The other things sort of are, are very similar. But um, anyway, um, giving frequent and constructive feedback is important. Um, you know, you can use the rubric at the end of the semester, or also mid-semester, um, writing in their lab notebook, um, informal meetings in the office, in the, uh, in the lab, um, being as specific as possible, choosing your words as carefully as possible. I, um, I'm always amazed at how students can misunderstand what you say. You know, and uh, there was a time when I, I was, I apologized, we were, pushing to get some, some data for a, a conference that we were going to go to. And so I was sort of focusing more on actively doing experiments related to that project. And, and we were trying to overcome some technical obstacles. And I felt like I needed to do those experiments in order to figure out what was going wrong. And I made a comment that students interpreted as that um, the students who were involved in that project thought, well, our, our, our contribution didn't matter. You know, he thinks that only we, we progressed because he did the experiments. And what I intended for them to get was that I was apologizing for not being a better mentor to, to the other students because I couldn't tell them why necessarily they, they ran into a roadblock unless I did the experiments myself. And, and I didn't have time to do it. You know, then so they just completely misunderstand the understood the intent there, and so you have to be careful with the words you use. Avoid comparisons with others. Never speak negatively to students about other students. That's common sense. Um, one of the things that that um, I introduced was the notion of jubilation moments, and and this was something that just sort of happened spur of the moment. But we had a great result. And we wanted to capture the moment, you know. And it was, we got some recombinant DNA constructs that were kind of tricky to get. And, and so I just took the camera and I held it out like that. And we took the picture. And that was jubilation number one. And from there, you know, we, we just kept adding jubilation moments as reminders that things do work in the lab. And it helps sustain you during times when they don't, you know. And it's just kind of a... A, a fun thing to do that that they realize you know is is you know a special thing for our lab. Um, I also try to turn problem experiments into positive learning experiences. Obviously, that that one gel is kind of curved there, and so rather than criticizing them, I try to involve them in the process of saying, well, what what could have gone wrong here, you know, and uh, and so we we take a look at that and and. Uh, and, you know, it, it, 
the student will never make the mistake again of not blowing the bubble out of the bottom of the, of the, uh, the gel. Okay, uh, you've got to be uh, a role model. You've got to be able to do, um, model what it means to be excellent, basically. And I list several things here that, that I think that entails. Um, and, um, you know, it's, it's going to involve some hand-holding at the beginning, but gradually you want to, you want to bring them to a point of greater independence. Um, another thing you can do is develop systems of organization in the lab that foster independence. And let me just share with you uh, something that, I, that I've uh, been working on during this past year when I was on sabbatical. Um, uh, it was a Blackboard site. Blackboard is a... Is a a supplement that's used as an ancillary for a lot of courses. And uh, I used it for, for research, okay? And uh, you know, it's sort of like WebCT, I guess. Um, anyway, um, what you see on the left are the, the different buttons that take you into different areas. Let me enlarge that. And, and basically, um, the idea is to make students more self-sufficient, to put resources up on here that they can use to, you know, if they need a method, if they need a recipe for something, product literature, uh, primary sources, I've got a number on there. There's also a lot of information in there on presenting science, whether it be oral presentations, uh, poster presentations, uh, scientific papers, writing scientific papers. Uh, students have really uh, benefited from that, and it's freed me up so I'm not constantly photocopying stuff. Um, and there's just unlimited potential there. Here's a course map. Uh, finally, in just a couple minutes, building relationships. Um, events at the mentor's home, my home. Uh, we had a reunion uh, for past and current research students and work-study students. Um, at the beginning of the year, I'm thinking of having a retreat for new students this coming year as well. Um, regular lab meetings and that open with prayer, have a devotional, have food, um, and then talk business, okay? Um, go to conferences together, and the, the, the opportunity to, to uh, prepare posters um, or oral presentations really, really uh, is important in their development, I think, and, and it helps bond us as a group. The group on the left won third prize at this conference, and so we were very proud and had a time of celebration. Uh, that's the group that I had last fall. Um, time of celebration um, for uh, the, the award. Um, and then um, there's just so much opportunity during waiting periods in an experiment, you know, go to a coffee shop. Um, so anyway, um, mentoring undergraduate students, very, very gratifying part of my job. Um, I think you have to be intentional if you want to inspire um, excellence in students. And um, um, they'll, they'll strive for the level of excellence. Wherever you set the bar, they'll do their best to uh, reach it. I'd just like to acknowledge the support that I've gotten from John Brown University um, uh, in providing uh, lab space and, and in uh, uh, half-time half support during the past year when I was on sabbatical. And, uh, and also the Arkansas Inbrae program for their support. Yeah? Is it required of all your biology students? Is it an option? Is it one semester or two semesters? Um, 
research is not required for our students. Um, any student that I take, um, I would ask them to make a one-year commitment because they just don't two semesters. Yeah, I don't think you can get enough done. Um, yeah. Have you had a good proportion of these students go on to graduate study? Um, yes. Um, a, graduate, you know, a PhD program, not as many students choose that route. Uh, most of mine, uh, I've had a few do that. Uh, most of mine end up going to medical school. Actually, I'd like to get more interested in grad school. Yeah. Um, that's a good question. I've had students come to me. Um, the question is, do I recruit the students or do they come to me? Uh, both. Um, um, I watch them very carefully in certain laboratory courses that I teach, and I'm constantly keeping my eyes open for people are, who are good in the lab. But um, um, I, I do, you know, if a student comes to me, I will sit down and talk, and I'll talk about the, the things that I do, and if they're interested in it, I'll... I'll Give it a try. One more short question. How many students generally do you take? Um, I, my high, how many, sorry, how many students do I generally take? Um, I've had as many as nine in the lab at one time, and the only reason I could do that was that I was on sabbatical at JBU and, and during that semester or that year, and I could, I could afford to do that. But generally, it's um, anywhere from four four or five at one time. That's what I can do. Thank you very much.